everybody. Welcome to another Courtside with Beals and Tennis podcast. I'm super fired up for this guest. It is with great privilege to have with us on tonight a teaching professional for over 20 years in a variety of capacities and who also has experience playing on the USTA Pro Circuit from 2002 through 2008. I'm happy to say he is now a colleague of mine currently teaching at Northbrook Rocket Club located in Northbrook, Illinois. Please welcome to the pod, Aaron Rusnak. Aaron, Thank you for uh, taking time tonight and walking us through your tennis journey a bit. No, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, like I said, really, really uh, appreciate this time. It's uh, very, very uh, appreciated on my end uh, taking time tonight to uh, speak to me. So this, thank you again. This is fun. Hey, so uh, before we kind of get started talking about your background and career, I know you made a recent move professionally. Uh, I mentioned in the intro you're now teaching at Northbrook Racket Club. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the, the transition moving over to the club. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been really a great transition. Um, everyone here has been really, really great and supportive of me coming here. Um, it's very much a family feel here for me. Um, I had one of my uh, uh, fellow colleagues from uh, the previous club I was at. You had mentioned, uh, you know, Jim Dosell, the gentleman that, that it's obviously owns here at uh, Northport Racket Club, and uh, you know, got to talk in the gym one day, and uh, you know, just really kind of telling him my ideas and kind of my vision of like where I want to kind of take the game, you know, as far as where I'm teach, how I'm teaching, uh, programs I want to grow, uh, many of my ideas of, you know, 20 plus years of experience, I just want to give back to as many, many kids and adults as I can. So, um, you know, he really, I think, really liked what I had to say. Um, I was really intrigued and, you know, as we are now, I'm, I'm here today. So I yeah. appreciate, you know, him taking the time and, and seeing the passion I have, you know, to want to give back. So And I echo your thoughts 100% on, on yeah. the, the people who work at the club and, and again, the ownership of the club. It, it, they're the best. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you obviously have an interesting journey, and I want to kind of get there, but as we do with a lot of our guests, we, we kind of start from the beginning. So yeah. if you don't mind, kind of talk about your background, uh, how you got started in the sport, whether you had family members, and, and what were some of the particulars that made you fall in love with the sport of tennis? Sure, sure. No, Absolutely. Uh, well, truth be told, actually, I, I was not a tennis player at first. Um, I actually uh, started playing basketball about age two. Um, age two. Age two. So I, I was pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty. I guess we'll just say I was pretty talented that way. So uh, it ended up being where you know, from age two, it was just eat, eat, sleep, you know, basketball, and uh, it was just. Were you of, walking at age two? Uh, yes, I was walking. <laughs> my, my mom did not get much sleep. Uh, from very early on uh, I wore out my brothers I have two older brothers I wore them out I wore my dad out I wore my my mom I mean it was just yeah I had a lot of energy a lot of energy so uh, um, you know so I ended up playing multiple twos of different sports but basketball was my main sport you know at a very young age um, but yeah it just it was one of those uh, one of those times in my life where that was like the end all be all was you know was basketball but uh, you know later on um as years went on, I probably was near, uh, I'd say close to uh, eighth grade is when I actually stopped playing basketball. But before that happened, I'd probably say I was maybe in fifth grade or so at the time, um, I happened to see Andre Agassi playing. So he became my first idol. I saw you know, the earrings, the long hair, like my mom would watch tennis. I never knew that actually my mom played tennis. I, um, I didn't even know that my mom's dad played tennis as well. Um, I didn't know any of that stuff because it never was really brought up because it was never an interest of mine to, you know, to go in that direction. So one day she's watching tennis and uh, I remember it was Wimbledon and all of a sudden I was like, man, this guy looks, this is cool. It looks like a rock star out there, you know. So um, next thing you know, I was like, hey, you know, mom, I want to try, you know, I want to try some tennis. So in the summer, um, I started at my local high school um, that summer and I got hooked. And in that summer alone, I basically like 
started a beginner's thing and like every couple of weeks I was just kind of advancing in the program. So by the end of the summer, they kind of got me ready to like play at a higher level for where I was starting at. Um, but I, I took a break. You know, I just during the summertime, I went back to my basketball. Um, and then eventually, you know, I started doing some camps uh, in Oak Lawn uh, Racquet Club and, uh, you know, doing these weekly camps just to kind of keep up with the tennis a little bit. And the, the more I started to do it, the more I just started, my passion started to shift from basketball to tennis. Um, and then eventually, by the time I was about 13 is when I eventually just walked away from basketball, um, which was a big thing because my, my brothers, um, you know, especially my middle brother, I really thought like, he actually should stock it out with basketball, you know, but uh, I'm only six foot tall. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many of those survived in the NBA being that tall, kind of getting beaten up. But um, um, being I grew up actually not too far away from Dwayne Wade and that playing basketball, so it was pretty cool. Um, but uh, but anyways, long story short, yeah, I went ahead and uh, uh, you know pursued the tennis route mainly because um, in basketball you have so many other people that you have to you know I guess rely upon to you know help a, a win happen or you know work as a team and stuff like that, which I was always all favored for. But I got to the point where I was very driven in basketball, just as I am in tennis, and uh, I just liked in tennis being where kind of like. If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. You know, and uh, you know that type of atmosphere where it's just kind of you know it's on you, you know, to perform and show up that day. And you know, if you don't play well, you know, it, it's you know obviously you could play better, but the other person was the better player that day. You know, and you got to give respect when respect is due. So, um, so that's kind of how that kind of unfolded that way. You know, right. So. So, so you know, in the intro, we we stated you played on the USTA Pro Circuit from 2002 through 2008. Yeah. You're a relatively late bloomer starting in the sport of tennis. Obviously, you were gifted. The talent was there. Your junior career was, I, I would say. Uh, a little different than what you hear most junior careers. Absolutely. Very good nationally, you know, ranked, played all the national tournaments. Mm -hmm. Then they go, they either go to college or they skip college and play. Your career is a little bit different. So if yeah. you don't mind, uh, kind of talk a little bit about some of the highlights in your junior career. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I went from, so like I said, when I first started playing tennis, you know, I was idolizing Agassi. So everything was, you know, ground stroking. I even got an earring, you know, I had at time and, uh, uh, you know, two-handed backhand, and, and the coaches I had there were, you know, I had a lot of great, fortunate coaches that were really, uh, you know, really passionate about technique and teaching me the right things and stuff from grips and movement and stuff like that. And uh, eventually, one of my coaches, he moved away, and uh, I came across another coach um, who just said, you know, your talents are at the net. So from the time of about 14 years old on, my idol went from Agassi to Stefan Edberg, Patrick Rafter, Martina Navratilova, you know, John McEnroe, Jonas Borkman, those kind of people, and Todd Martin, like emulating those people. Um, particularly Pat Rafter was my main guy, uh, you know, that I really, really, really idolized. But um, to go with that, it, it was funny because I went from a baseline game and basically going where when I first started playing USTA tournaments, most of the kids didn't know me. So I had early success. I was like semi-finaling, finaling, winning a lot of tournaments at a very young, in my age bracket, really, really, really quick going into the USTA tournaments. And then, um, and then when people started figuring me out, then you know the wins didn't come as easy. But then during that time, also the coach I had at that time switched me from a two-hander to a one-hander. Even though my backhand actually for me, unlike a Pete Sampras, it was actually my best shot. It was better than my volleys at the time. And uh, so I went to a one-hander. You know, I went from like serving and volleying on every point, chipping and charging on every point, very old-school style of play, um, which I've just embodied ever since then. Uh, this is how I play. Um, but in my junior career, really my standout memories are in doubles. Um, I had some of the most successful, most successful times in my junior career in doubles. It was uh, always a joke of mine with my friends. Is like when it came to singles, 
you know, um, until my game kind of got glued together towards, you know, my later years near uh, almost 17, 18 years old when things kind of started to fall together. Um, basically, you know, doubles was like everybody and their brother and sisters before cell phones were really popular. People would be calling my house phone like, hey, can Aaron play doubles? And we were going to this tournament. Like, you know, the doubles was like a, a, a shoe-in. Anyone could call me, and I was always willing to play with anybody. I wasn't like, I didn't matter. I just loved playing doubles. And then, you know, singles was kind of like almost like just like practice working on things that my coach wanted me to work on because it was just kind of like, whether it was in groups or tournaments, you know, whatever the coach told me to do, whether the outcome was winner or not, I just embraced the process and was like, all right, I'm going to work on the things I need to go at because I know long term these are going to help me become a better player than I am now. So um, I just kind of embraced that going forward and kind of took my lumps. So I went from like beating a lot of players and then players I used to beat I started losing to and then players I used to kind of exchange wins and losses just started losing to and then the guys who were just much better than me at the time would just end up beating me really, really bad um, until later on in my, you know, basically my first, first year of 18s is when I kind of started to turn the corner, and that's when I started to then, the players I used to beat started beating all the time, and then the players I used to exchange, I started to actually win a lot more against them than lose, and then those players that I used to never come close to beating, you know, and then I started actually either winning or starting to take sets off of, so there was progress, you know, towards the end of my junior career, you know, at least, you know, I mainly stayed, you know, um, Midwest based, you know, playing my tournaments, you know, so I didn't really um, have the means or funds to really travel abroad um, just because of, like I said, I started in the high school programming, you know, and then just like a small club programming. And then uh, from there, that's when I kind of went into the NJTL program, you know, which was basically, you know, was Arthur Ashes, you know, basically, you know, foundation stuff. And then they barely kind of really took me in their arms and uh, helped me kind of become the player I am today. You know, and you, they, they allowed you to travel to California for a little bit? Yeah, so what had happened when I was about 13 years old, um, I can't remember what year it is offhand, but I got VHS tape. <laughs> and, 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 and I had most valuable player when I was out there for my work ethic and stuff like that. But uh, And 13 is kind of um, like you're still just getting started in yeah, the sport. That's why yeah, this story is yeah, so, yeah, so, so crazy. Yeah, no, see, I had, like I said, early success, uh, picking up the game really, really quick. Um, I was one of those people, very like a lot of people, very visual. So you know, a coach would show me something, I immediately could kind of pick up on the cues right away. You had real good um, hand-eye coordination, yeah, so, very young age, obviously yeah, with basketball. So picked it, yeah, picked it up really quick. And uh, so yeah, so for me to do that, when uh, UST, it was basically USTA and NJTL sent me down to a training center. It was in Escondido at the time, California, uh, in California. And uh, you know, like I said I got to spend two weeks out there with some of the best coaches, you know, in the California area. Um, got to meet a lot of great, you know, players down there. Um, I mean, there was uh, quite a few players from California. There was actually a boy who was from Maine who was really, really good. Um, you know, that was just, you know, I was in awe because the the intensity of some of these kids, um, you know, as far as just the quality of play was just some stuff I didn't even see even in the Midwest. It was right. just the, the uh, it wasn't even just the work ethic. It was just the style of plays were a little bit different. The teaching methods were different. I mean, even at a at that age, I love learning, so it was interesting to see different coaches' philosophies and how they coach, and you know, so just taking everything in from every one of the coaches, even at an early age, just kind of seeing how one's person's perspective of how to you know approach something as opposed to someone else or how a player perceived it. So it was really cool. Awesome experience, really, yeah. really is. Um, so you did have success. You were late bloomer. You did have a lot of success. You know, now you're going through high school. You were in Illinois. Mm-hmm. All four. You finished high school here. Yep. And there's that next step. There's college or, you know, again, with your type of journey, most people would say, well, you may 
naturally just go to college. He hasn't had the greatest success nationally just because you didn't play all those tournaments and you right. didn't have the funds to yeah. enable you to, to travel and do all that. Right. Um, and you took the rare step of not having that huge national exposure. Mm -hmm. You chose not to go to college and you chose to pursue your dream. Walk us through that decision yeah. making. And I would have loved to be in the living room hearing that conversation yeah. with your parents. <laughs> yeah, no, it was funny um, because it was something that my both my parents um, my mom went to college. Uh, my dad did not, um, not necessarily by choice. My dad's actually, dad passed away when he was very young, so he really was kind of a middle child, and he took care of his family, and then my dad went to Vietnam. So long story short, it was like, it was not really in his cards to deal. Uh, my mom and my other my other brothers did go to college, so I was like backwards compared to my other, my other brother, you know, going to college and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it was one of those things where my parents saw how passionate driven I was and I'm at a very young age I was a perfectionist so um, I was in one of those scenarios like you said as I was getting you know close to kind of like you're gonna go to college what's the deal and I remember having that conversation with my parents and just saying hey you know um, I had all these different options with with schools to go play at different schools and um, you know some were you know full ride some were partial whatever it was at different schools and uh you know, a lot of them were enticing, a lot of great coaches, and it just became one of those things where I was afraid, especially with some that were full rides, just because I know that my, my, my family wasn't well enough to really pay for that, and that means me taking out student loans. and Without so, full ride, the ones that were right, without. without. So um, it ended up being one of those things where uh, I just basically told my parents that one time after a dinner, actually, and just said, I want to talk about, you know, my next step, and... Um, I just told him, I said, you know, you guys understand how much I love the game. Like, I eat, breathe, sleep it, just like so many other people that have just loved this game. And I said, I just, I, ever since I picked up the racket, I, I, this is my, my dream was to play. My, my dream was to play at the U.S. Open under the under the lights at, you know, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. You know, I wanted to do something like that. It just was such a, a dream of mine to, to try to achieve. And I just told him, I said, I, because I'm such a perfectionist, I felt like going to school and with the scholarships that were on the line that I just felt like I'd focus so much on my studies that my tennis would suffer or I would focus so much on my tennis that then my studies would suffer. And I was just at the maturity level at that time um, that it was very hard for me to juggle both because I did still, I was actually teaching tennis um, full time. I actually got out of school early to teach tennis at, uh, it was called Woodfield Racket Club at the time. So I would get out at like 12.30 in the afternoon, go train with my coach, and then from there, then work the night, you know, and then at home, study late at night. And um, it was just one of those things where I told, my, I told my mom and dad, I said, at the end of the day, you know, I want to, if I'm going to go to school and I'm not going to do something that's not tennis related, then I just want to go to school. So I full, just fully focus on, my, on, on the academic program or whatever I'm going to do. Um, because I really want to give my dream a shot. Um, I don't want to live with regrets. Um, if one thing that my my grandmother said to me is that you know at the end of the day you don't want to say you know shoulda coulda woulda. Um, so I just wanted to have that basically. Even if I went and tried a year or two and just said you know what this isn't working, I'm gonna go back to school. It's gonna be a better choice for me. You know that's then then it's very then very clear of what I need to do then. So um, I mean. I think my biggest thing I missed, you know, I think in college was the team thing. You know, I definitely, from coaching college, that was something that I, you know, creating that family culture and that it was really, really fun doing that, you know, a couple times coaching college myself. And it was just like seeing that, that was probably the one thing I'd say, if anything I missed out on college was that. I mean, I know there's a lot of other college experiences that people experience and like friendships and that, but I was so driven. Um, as my parents know, I was just very, very driven. So, you know, they just, 
basically said, all right, we're going to, we're going to ride you out. And we're going to, they trusted me in that, that I was going to make the right decision. You know, it was my first real big, big decision with basically my life where I was going to take my, my life going forward. So you're chasing your dream. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and yeah. like you said, if it didn't work out one or two years, you could always go back to school. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you, and, and I mean, honestly, you had, you had success. You played the USTA pro circuit tour. 2002 through 2008 now i think the usta at that time had like a ranking of like 1200 u.s players and you made it to i believe it was like 220 out of and i guess I, I guess it was like out of the top 500 if you make it to a certain level of that top 500 you get automatic either draws into the futures events or qualities to the futures events right depending on draw size right. um you were there six years yeah, I know you got married in the middle of that in 2006. Yeah. yeah. Give me give me a couple stories because that's yeah. what everyone wants to hear. The yeah. crazy, the good, the bad, whatever you yeah. want to share. No, I got I got <laughs> I probably could write a book on them just like so many other players out there, you know, going through, you know, I call it the journeyman's journey so to speak and then as they say, um, yeah, no, 2002 um, was my my very first uh, my very first uh, you know, few driver play was at Ursula Beck Classic it was in Decatur, Illinois. Um, I actually, it's funny that one of the gentlemen I met there, his name was John Belenny. Um, they actually wrote a book, USTA Day was taking, uh, it's called Taking Your Tennis on Tour. And it was just kind of funny, ironic. I signed in for qualities. I didn't really actually know if I was going to get in or not. Um, cause at that point I had no ranking whatsoever. Um, so luckily at that time there's not enough guys who signed in. So I got into the draw. Um, I lost first round qualities from a guy from China. Um, you know, played him close, but you know, it was just the, the better player that day. And, uh, but it was it was funny with him. The reason I brought him up is because um, I happen to have a I had a sports car in high school. I got rid of it. Um, I traded in for a Dodge Caravan minivan, and I had an air mattress in there, and uh, I slept out of that basically. And it was just ironic because um, I pull up, and this guy John Valenti has a Forest Green Dodge Caravan, the exact same thing. He's got an air mattress. He's got a TV set. He's got all the stuff in here. And I find out he's been doing it. He's been doing it for like at that time. I think about a year or two in that. And uh, later on, I mean, in this chapter in the USA, it's just funny because I watched even his uh, rise evolve from the minivan to then a basically became a small mini bus that he was stringing rackets out of to help cover costs. And I think if you Google his name, you'll yeah, be able to it, read it, some it, funny it, stuff yeah, about some John. Funny stuff, but uh, but yeah, no, it was definitely that whole journey going through um, that first future. Actually, was funny. It was I tried to sleep out the very first night. And Decatur, because Southern Illinois gets so hot out there, and I'm like, I'm gonna get dehydrated staying here. I gotta stay, so I find like the cheapest motel. It wasn't even a hotel; it was a motel. I pull up, and it's one of those where you pull up to the door, and it like literally like end up becoming. If you've ever seen the movie Big with Tom Hanks, um, and there's like this guys like pounding on the door. I literally had an experience like that where I literally like didn't know anyone, didn't know anyone at the tournament at the time. I go in there, and all of a sudden it's like I lock the door. And like within 30 minutes of being there, all of a sudden there's like a big huge party on the outside. I don't know if people are vandalizing my van because it's like I have a little peephole and like these like this little window to look out of. So I barely could get any sleep. One, I was nervous about the mesh. And then two, I was afraid I'm gonna come out and my, my, my ride is gonna be stolen and I'm gonna be hours away from where I live. Um, and then I wake up the next day and some guy's actually out there cooking macaroni and cheese with beer and an electric grill and asking me if I wanted breakfast. I'm like, no, I gotta go eat at an actual place and actually get ready for my match. So 
Um, so yeah, that was one of my first experiences ever. Let, let me just that, stop so you on yeah. there and give it and give a plug because I'm doing a documentary. I think you've heard about it. Um, it's called The Journey: Life on Tour with with Jimmy Bendek. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's these types of stories that that we're trying to illustrate that it's not you know the private jets, it's not the Roger Federer's no. of the world. I mean, this is it's what I talk to about with Jimmy all the time is tennis is sometimes the easy part. It's everything else. Yeah, and people just one reason or another just don't last just because they don't want to put up with it the conditions yeah. are horrible or a b or c by the time you get on the tennis court that's the easy part yeah. um yeah. and it, it just reminded me of that yeah. so if you all want to check that documentary out you can find it it's on itunes life on tour and um you also have a few episodes on, on my podcast as well yeah no it's it, that's probably one of the the, the first ones i had and, and throughout there i had a lot of good memories um, meeting a lot of you know good players. I watched so many players. You know that you first watched in qualities of futures, and then they break into the main draw, and then eventually you see you know a couple of them, and you know, end up playing you know you know on the big screen, and you're like, wow, you know you're like literally practicing next to that guy. You got to talk to him and that. Um, so Andy won the U.S. Open in 2003. Marty was a little bit behind him. Did you bump into any of these guys? No, unfortunately. And as much as I, I, I love, I'm, a, I'm, I love Marty Fish. I think he's got a great story of his comeback and stuff like that, and his conditions he had to overcome. But uh, what were some of the bigger names that you interacted um, with? If you remember, there was there was an Australian guy named Raphael Durek was really good um benjamin becker yeah there's another guy from benjamin Hill. becker there's yeah. your there's your quiz there's yeah. your answer uh andre agassi's last atp tour yeah. loss yeah. exactly and then there was a guy named benedict dorsch yep. who also played there um those guys are great players um there was another guy um from australia there's a lot of australian guys that came through because um, when i was traveling um Australia actually had a team uh, that would travel, um, which I thought was so interesting at the time. It was my first thing that I ever noticed my first summer playing was Australia would bring like four or five players um, to the U.S. to play U.S. Yeah, they uh, always travel together. And they travel together. They have one coach to four or five guys. And, you know, and then, and then I found out more about how they stay on their teams. You know, it's like because the, the, the country's funding them. And, uh, you know, they would give them goals like, hey, your ranking has to be at this point or you don't make it. And then after a certain time frame, if they don't make it, you know, they lose funding. They can still play, but it's now on their own tab, you know, right. to do it. It's not through the government, you know, or through, the, I should say, the Tennis Association, that, you know, help funding that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been, uh, you know, I remember one of my first Futures wins that actually was at Carthage College. Um, you know, I actually ended up playing a guy who was in juniors. I, it was one of my first junior tournaments I ever played. I lost to and ironically play him in the first round of qualities and up beating him in three so it was just kind of like bittersweet that he got me in juniors and i hadn't seen him all juniors and then i'll <laughs> run into him and you know he graduated college and i play him and stuff so um but yeah no i mean uh one of my other fond memories is actually the first time my name was in the atb uh, computer um it sounds funny but i got emotional about it you know i didn't have any points but i, I got in the main draw of the, the futures doubles at carthage and that's what got me in to get my name on the computer but uh it definitely that was something that was like I just wanted to have a ranking next to it, you know. Which, unfortunately for me, I never got that opportunity. Um, but I definitely don't have any regrets for how hard I worked. You know, I just uh, definitely uh, worked myself to death, so to speak. And a lot of colleagues who've got to know me over the years knew my work ethic, and I was just consistent. Yeah, that that absolutely lives with you to to this day. So you did that for six years. Obviously, as you know, it happens with a lot of people, especially with the sport being so physical. Um, not only financially but injuries um and like i said we, we know you got married in the middle of that yeah and you know your transition into coaching 
watching you and, and while you're relatively new at this club, I've seen you over the years, you, your passion, you know, oozes, oozes out of you, basically. Yeah. You love what you do. Um, I want to kind of end this, um, you know, you've coached at various clubs, you've coached various teams. Talk a little bit. I know you said you were teaching a little bit after high school just to get ready to, to, to fund yourself a little to go on yeah, pro. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about how that transition came into play. Was that just naturally have kind of fell into your lap or you're like, you know what, I want to give back. This is I love doing this, and it felt natural to do it. Yeah, I always had in the back of my head um, that uh, at, the ba- at the back of my head, I basically just figured, you know, um, at the end of the day, I, I love this game, and if I can't uh, make it myself, if I can make anyone better, um, and it didn't always have to be, it has to be an amazing player, um, as Jim knows here, and I've got to have a conversation with him and any other place I've ever worked at before, it's like, it's never been about me, it's about what's best for the, the, the child or the adult, and it's like, when they get better, it made me feel better. It, it was a, an addiction, like every time they're getting better, it would just fuel me more to like want to give back and show them more, and it's like, I'm always thirsty for knowledge, so I'm always like all these years going to different you know symposium things and learning more knowledge because I just figure the more that you know, the more valuable you are to your clients. You know, whether it be a child or adult or a college, you're just giving more back, and you know, and it's just uh, it was just something that really hit home to me. It's like this is what I want to do with my life. Um, I'm not in it to make millions of dollars. It's my goal is like making a difference in someone's life. It's like for me, I've had the opportunity now being in this game, teaching it for so long now. Um, you know that I have a lot of my old, you know, basically my old students that are getting married or having kids, and and they still invite me to their weddings or it's they the call best. me. And That's that. the it's, best. It's the best feeling in the world. You know that that I was more than just their tennis coach. You know that I was actually someone. You know more to them than just that. So, um, you know, I've, I've definitely you know with a, a quite a few students, um, they knew who they are, but there's quite a few that have been kind of like a dad figure. Um, you know, I really took that responsibility, you know, seriously, and I wanted to be the best role model for them. It's you know, the it's so. when you're, and some of the some of the times you're closer to them after their tennis is over than um, it is. I see you now; you're getting yeah. emotional even talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, best feeling yeah. in the world, and I yeah. and I echo it a hundred percent. It's why I think we all, um, who who all love what they do, this is that's a huge huge part of it. There's nothing yeah. nothing beats it. Nothing no, beats definitely. it. Definitely, no, yeah, it's definitely like my wife says. It's like my my love outside of that. So for sure. Aaron, this was this was awesome. We hit on uh, quite a bit. Um, again, your experiences are, are you know tenfold. Um, whether it's coaching teams, whether it's coaching clubs, you, you seem to love it all. And I know there's still a lot uh, out in, in your future. Sure. Uh, again, welcome aboard. We, we love to have you at the club, and um, thanks for sharing your story with us. Oh, no problem. I really appreciate the time and that you know taking to listen to what I have to say. So that's really great. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. This was great. This was a privilege. Again, Aaron Rusnak, you can find him. He's pretty active on Instagram. Um, One thing that uh, I've seen him present on it, and he's awesome, if any of you listening have some questions on band exercises, not music bands, I'm talking band exercises, Aaron loves the bands. Again, he's presented on it. Reach out to him. Uh, You could find him on uh, on Instagram. And uh, again, we want to thank him. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation. And as always, stay tuned for another Courtside with Beanless and Tennis podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.